morning. This is Dr. Odell Glenn of the OG Inspiration Show. Hoping that you had an awesome week last week and hoping that you will have a great one this week. The purpose of the OG Inspiration Show is to inspire, motivate, educate, empower, enrich the lives of others through education, career planning, my own experiences, nonprofit organizations, various authors, faith-based communities, coaches, entrepreneurs, professionals, and small business owners. The purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience, to turn obstacles into opportunity to the utmost and to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experiences. We have an innovative God and he is constantly challenging us to reflect his glory, to utilize the characteristics he has given each of us to move towards righteousness. And we must often be innovative in that task. And so today I want to give some inspirational quotes dealing with real estate. And you'll see why I'm going in that direction because today we have a very special guest who is just doing great things with real estate. She's going to share some of her experiences. I ask that you take a pen and pad and write notes so that you can remind yourself to act upon some of the words of wisdom that she will give us and that we can act on and be successful in the ventures of real estate. The first quote I wanna give is by Franklin D. Roosevelt. And he said, real estate cannot be lost or stolen, nor can it be carried away. Purchased with common sense, paid in full and managed with reasonable care. It is about the safest investment in the world. And investments in real estate, you can't go wrong. And that's all I'm going to say about this. We want to talk about that later today in the show. Another quote is by Andrew Carnegie. And he said, 90% of all millionaires become so through owning real estate. I think you can look around and see how well owning real estate can help not only yourself, but create generational wealth. Another quote is by Eric Thomas. He said, you cannot afford to live in potential for the rest of your life. At some point, you have to unleash the potential and make your move. If you're sitting on the fence about real estate, you want your pen and pad today because Pam Hill, who is our guest, will give us some golden nuggets to go from potential to action and then following through. And the next two quotes is one of two of Pam Hill's favorite quotes. And one is by Oprah Winfrey. Anything you can imagine, you can create. So just as I mentioned before, you need to take that potential that you've been imagining and create it through action and following through and maybe and even getting a mentor to help guide you. And the last quote is by Nelson Mandela. It always seems impossible until it's done. That's, that's totally true. You look at the mountain and it looks very intimidating, but when it's done, you're like, wow, what was the purpose of me waiting to do it and having fear with it? Because fear is nothing more than false evidence appearing real. So today's guest is Pam Hill. Pam Hill received her Bachelor's of Arts degree in sociology with a minor in political science from Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. She went on to receive her master's degree in international development and finance from Harvard University in Boston, Massachusetts. Today, she is an entrepreneur and CEO of a multi-million dollar real estate company a business and money expert, a former Fortune 500 executive and founder of My Smart Cousin. Pam's main goal is to help Black and Brown folks, and especially women, understand their money, increase their accountability, and build generational wealth. Growing up, her mother told her on how she got interested in math by telling her that people could cheat her out of her allowance otherwise. Really, she said, wide-eyed, hugging her cigar box bank. 
and its cachet of pennies, quarters, and dimes to her chest. Really, she said with finality, plucking a few nickels from the box to show the dastardly ease with which such crimes could be committed. From then on, Matt became Pam's new best friend as she used fingers, toes, and everything else to count her haul from flower seed sales in elementary school, candy in junior high school, and earnings from jobs and businesses. For most of us, talking about math is about as much fun as getting our last two teeth pulled. First, most of the math one needs to know to run a business and understand the numbers is grade school math. That's right, good old-fashioned arithmetic. Second, research shows that the anxiety many women and Black and brown folks have about math is based on society, affectionately known as the man, consistently telling us that numbers are just not for us. But research also tells us that women investors and diverse teams outperform white men only teams. So take a deep breath and stick with Pam because you can do this. You can do the kind of math you need to level up your entire life. The biggest recurring theme Pam sees with folks is the six figure income category is that while they know their way around business and money topics at a high level, let the choir say amen, we don't know the ins and outs of money. That is, how much money are we keeping of the money that we're making? Or how much do we own, really own? And the reasons are varied, but usually come, usually some combination of we're scared, that's right, quaking in our boots, don't tell nobody, scared to see what's going on with our finances. We don't know where to start, that's legit. Our accountant, bookkeeper, financial advisor is handling it. That is the worst of all reasons. Your accountant, bookkeeper, advisor's job is to put your numbers in a report every, every week or month. Your job is to open the report. Yes, I know, kind of obvious, but know some of y'all out there don't do this much. Analyze and compare it against your financial goals. This is the driving force behind my smart cousin. As a money expert and former chief financial officer of a $1 billion company, Pam's goal is to help you cozy up to your finances, understand exactly what they're telling you, and develop a business and wealth roadmap based on your numbers with weekly check-ins so that you can know your numbers like the boss that you already are in your business and life and build real wealth. Ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, Pam Hill is real authentic and likes to speak in everyday language so that you can understand. After this short commercial break, we will come back with none other than Pam Hill. Are you a full-time caregiver for a loved one with a terminal illness? Do you feel overwhelmed at times? Do you often feel as if there is no hope? Well, with over 12 years of caregiving experience for two parents alone, in addition to writing a dissertation, fulfilling ministerial obligations, working home-based businesses, and radio personality responsibilities, Dr. Odell Glenn has found the time and has had the energy to write a book to inspire and empower other caregivers. Purchase his book entitled, Caregiving, the inspirational manual on his website at www.ogcaregiving.com. And you can also book him to come and speak at your next event, function, or club. Again, the website is www.ogcaregiving.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Orlando Morris McCauley Jr., a candidate for Episcopal service in the AME Church. I'm the father of three young men and one daughter who are millennials. Their vision and concept of church is quite different than tradition. One of my visions as candidate for bishop is to find innovative ways for which millennials can exercise their gifts and share their vision, especially through technology. There are a few ways you can help the Macaulay for Bishop campaign by donating monetary gifts. You may do so by visiting our website at www.macaulayforbishop.com and clicking on the donation page on the menu. You may donate using the Cash App or the Givelify options. 
Your gift can make a huge difference in the life of the church. Find us on Facebook at Macaulay for Bishop 2020. Share our link, promote what we do, or find out how to volunteer. The Lord bless and keep you is my prayer. In need of a motivational speaker for your upcoming event, Dr. Glenn speaks at school graduations, public gatherings, colleges, and universities. In addition, he is a national radio personality as well as published author. Have him speak at your next in-person or online event at 3tierfoundation at gmail.com. That's the number 3tierfoundation at gmail.com. Okay, well, welcome back, radio audience. We have Pam Hill with us, as mentioned from her bio. She is our special guest. And as you can see, she is a plethora of knowledge and wisdom that she will pour out to us on real estate and investing. And so, Pam, how are you? Doing great, doing great. Thank you so very, very much, Dr. Glenn, for allowing me to participate on your show. This is just so exciting. Awesome. Awesome. And so, Pam, let's go back into your education. Now, we all know Harvard University and Dartmouth are the Ivy League universities in the United States of America. They're very difficult to get in. They're very selective. Could you tell us where you got your bachelor's degree and why you picked the university that you picked? Absolutely. We'd be happy to. So I got my bachelor's degree at Dartmouth College, which was probably a 180 degree from how I grew up. So Dartmouth is in New Hampshire in a small town called Hanover. And I'm from New York City. So really, <laughs> New Hampshire probably doesn't even need to have a small town for a New Yorker to think of it as a small place. Great people come from New York. I'm a Brooklyn Knight. Yeah. <laughs> How wonderful. But it really turned out to be such a great opportunity and unexpected in a way, because I grew up in a working class neighborhood with a loving mom and dad and a working class family in Queens, New York, in Jamaica, St. Albans. And I feel like the difference maker for me was I'll credit my mom for busing me, for really advocating to have me bust away from the neighborhood school, which sadly wasn't as strong as it needed to be because is so often the case in Black neighborhoods, it was underfunded, under-resourced. So she advocated to have me bus when I was eight years old, a third grader, to a school maybe 10 miles, but in a way, a whole universe away from where I grew up. I went to a public school in a predominantly white neighborhood for both elementary school as well as junior high school, we call it in New York, rather than middle school. And from there, I had always loved the piano, and uh, I auditioned and got into a high school that focuses on the arts, called the High School of Performing Arts. So I was a piano major, and flute was my second instrument. But in focusing on that, what I really learned about myself at the school was that although I love, love, loved those instruments and being uh, so engaged on the musical front, I realized that I really wasn't good enough to be a Carnegie Hall level musician. And I knew that because my piano teacher went to Juilliard, which is one of the best conservatories in the world for music, and uh, so did my flute teacher. And neither one of them were playing at Carnegie Hall. They were teaching kids like me. So I decided to make music a passion that I enjoyed as opposed to a profession. And it was at that point that I really began to focus hard on academics. And, you know, I credit a high school teacher who encouraged me to reach for the stars, which is what led me to apply, I think, back then to 11 schools, one of which was Dartmouth. So, uh, that's what led me on the path to Dartmouth. Dartmouth is a real small college by large university standards, only about 4,000 kids or so. Uh, the year that I was there, or the four years that I was there, but the accepting class year, we were only 55 Black students out of our class of about 1,050. But, you know, you make it work. I definitely learned to stretch beyond myself in making friends with folks who initially I was intimidated by because um, many of these kids were wealthy, had gone to a private school, had an academic educational experience that was far superior to what I had. 
but I learned to settle in and find myself. And so I'm really thankful that I made that jump. Dartmouth was a college, continues to be a college that requires you to take a language, a foreign language, in order to graduate. And I took Chinese. So I took Chinese my junior year, my senior year. I went to China my junior summer with about 25 other kids. And then that led me to take Chinese again uh, the year after I graduated through a special program that Johns Hopkins had created, which in turn is what led me to my master's program at Harvard University. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So what did you actually get your bachelor's in? So I got my bachelor's degree in sociology okay, with a minor in political science. Okay. And then your master's, what? And then I got my master's at the Kennedy School, uh, Harvard Kennedy School of Government. And it is a degree in public policy with a focus on international development and finance. Awesome. 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 And so, Pam, that is a wonderful background. And thank you so much for sharing. And so your degrees and your experiences, how has it And how is it shaping you today? Like some people may say, well, bachelor's in sociology, what can you do with it? But how has you shaped it so that it makes such an excellent question? Yeah, it's such an excellent question, Dr. Glenn, because you're right on the face of it, a sociology degree. If you're not a sociology professor, it doesn't seem like that, but it would have a lot of relevance. But I actually feel like it's one of the disciplines that I use the most, both in a work setting as well as just generally in life. So sociology is the study of group behavior and what are human beings, if other than folks, they just love to get together in groups. So Mm -hmm. if you're looking to try to understand workplace dynamics, lean on your friend sociology. If you're trying to understand family relationships, lean on sociology. It taught me so much and I really enjoyed it. And it was one of those opportunities that I'm thankful for. I will also say that when I initially started at Dartmouth, in fact, what I wrote on my application when I applied was I wanted to be a neurosurgeon, but I was not at all prepared, I'd have to say, in terms of the academics that I had in high school on the biology and chemistry and math front for that. And I don't think at that age, at 18, that I had yet, I suppose, found the courage and the fortitude to really push and lean. One of the things that I counsel any young person to do when they go to college or even when they're in high school is to reach out to the tutoring services. Those are already paid for when it comes to college and in high school, there are more than likely either kids or teachers or both who are signed up to be tutors. So there's no shame in that game, as it were. Reach out to a tutor to help you understand the material in a way different than you're understanding it. But I have to say, even without having pursued the medical track, I am so thankful that I did find sociology because I so enjoyed it. And I feel like I do use it in my day-to-day life. Yes. Thank you, Pam. We're so glad that you found the path because the wealth of knowledge that you're about to portray to the audience is part excellent because of the sociology or the culture that we are living in. We don't typically have these type of real estate investing conversations and some homes don't. And so it is so critical today. And so audience, Pam mentioned a mouthful of important ideas, and I want you to digest them. Sometimes you will start off on a path that may not seem like it connects, but years later, you will find it will connect and it all comes together in full circle. And so guys, as you already know, me being an engineer with four degrees in engineering and now being a podcast host, I would have never seen those connections earlier, but I'm glad I did because now I could share the knowledge and solve problems on everyday life to bring connection. So where you start may not be where you end up, but you'll see that all of the pieces work together for the best of your good, as well as your community and the society in which you live. Pam, could you talk to that? Absolutely. I so love what you said, Dr. Odell, about where you start is not necessarily where you'll finish. And I think it's important for your audience and really all of us 
to realize that where we are in this very moment uh, is likewise not where we will finish. This thing called life is an exciting adventure. And of course, it's full of its frustrations as well. That is part of the ingredients that make for life. But I think if you always are looking to develop, to find ways where you can grow, to connect with folks, if they are not within your immediate circle of five friends or five family members, those folks don't represent the direction that you want to go. These days, there is just so much that's available online free of charge. So for instance, meetups, that's a way to connect with folks. And thanks slash no thanks to COVID, a lot of meetups now occur virtually through Zoom. So I encourage folks to do that. Certainly Facebook groups are very popular and just plain old doing your research and learning, taking advantage of YouTube. It seems like you could become almost a PhD professor if you take enough YouTube classes in any given discipline. Yes, yes. So expand your knowledge, expand your horizon. Today, there's no excuse for expanding yourself, creating yourself, and evolving to be your best person. And so, Pam, how did you break into the real estate industry? How did that happen over the course of your life? So as you mentioned, I am in real estate and I'm on the side of real estate that's the investing side. And so what a real estate investor does is buys and then fixes up a property. Now, some folks buy it, fix it up and then sell it, often called buy and flip. And other folks buy it, fix it up and hold on to it, maybe rent it out. And a lot of times that's called buy and hold. So I'm more in that second category. And how I got involved in that is I fell into it, to be honest. So about 10 years ago, my husband, we were dating at the time when he was looking for a home, we started looking in Wilmington, Delaware, and we were thunderstruck at the prices of homes. This was coming off of the Great Recession, but even still today, the prices of homes, when you know where to look and how to look, can be quite low. So uh, we saw prices in the mid $20,000 neighborhood. And it's from there that I decided then and there, you know what? I am going to start buying houses for the price of a car. And that's what I've done ever since. And so that has meant, gosh, my most expensive purchase was $35,000 for a house. And the cheapest one was more like for the price of a bike. It was $2,500. So I fell into it by happenstance, again, just through looking. But once I saw it, I couldn't look away. And I determined that I needed to get more involved in this, particularly since, you know, a byproduct of racism really in the country is that there's been a lot of disenfranchisement of Black wealth and even not being able to have it to begin with, let alone having it taken away from you. I just have a real special place in my heart for that. And so I advocate with family, with friends, and with clients that this is the place to start building your wealth. Awesome. Awesome. And so you said a lot there because, you know, as an African-American, but then also as an African-American woman, what roadblocks were you faced with? I'm sure there were many when you became an investor there's not a lot of African-American women per se in that space. And so could you tell us some of the obstacles that you face and how you overcame them? Yes, thank you so much. So as an African-American woman, I'd say one of the biggest obstacles I face is that there's just uh, very few role models or peers, folks who will open up to you, take you by the hand, or just share a, a cup of coffee at the coffee shop and kind of tell you, the rules of the road. So that's one area. And then I would say a second area, which actually has been a benefit, I suppose, is that as an African-American woman, I think that I might empathize uh, particularly strongly with many of the folks who make their home in the houses that I buy, because many of these families are run by African-American women. So I think that has been a benefit because I take my role of landlord as really an obligation that I must provide a very good house to live in, that I must work extra hard to be a very good partner with them. 
Exactly. Great. And so well-spoken and said in the sense that you have utilized your experiences maybe so much at Dartmouth and Harvard and took those challenges to bring new challenges to help the benefit of mankind. And I think that's really special. Those are our community heroes audience. And so these people should always be applauded for the work that they're doing. And so Pam, you transitioned, were you in a corporate kind of world before you was? Okay. Could you tell us a little bit about what you did in the corporate world and then the transition I think you spoke on, but what was the breakthrough to say, all right, I got to leave the corporate world to just really do this full time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Another great question, Dr. Glenn. And I think it's particularly insightful because you're right. There are so many people who are in the corporate world, probably many of your listeners right now, and wondering how it is that they can get engaged in real estate uh, investment, even just to start off a little bit, as opposed to just throwing open the window, which I'm a conservative person by nature when it comes to financials. So I would never recommend that. But my start in the corporate world, after I graduated from Harvard, I actually went first into the government world, because my focus was international development. And so I worked for four years with the federal government in mainly international development jobs. And then from there, had an opportunity to work at an electric utility in Atlanta, a very large one. And that also was an international role. So on the one hand, it was extremely gratifying because I was applying my experience in finance, my training in finance, and applying it to Latin America, to projects that we were developing there to build a new electric utility infrastructure or to renovate what was already there. So on the one hand, that was so gratifying. But on the other hand, I really wanted to do something that I felt like had a personal impact on folks as opposed to a large, giant population. So I think it was at that point that I began to really look for entrepreneurial opportunities that also had some kind of a social ability to have a social benefit of sorts. One of the first places I started actually was I opened up a tax office. So in between working at an electric utility in Atlanta and then one in Baltimore, right in between the two of those, I opened a tax office and decided to not just do taxes, but to also help people understand their personal finances and how it was that they could strengthen those. So I did that for probably about a year or so, and then went back into the electric utility world, this time in Baltimore. The roles that I've had have been from analysts uh, straight up to CEO and CFO. So when I was in the country of Jamaica, the company that I worked for in Atlanta bought an electric utility in Jamaica. So I was the chief financial officer of that utility. Then a few years down the road, another company that I worked for had a contract with an electric utility in the Bahamas. And I was the chief executive officer of that utility. And so I had a thousand colleagues essentially that reported to me, but also that I worked with. And those were gratifying. I very much appreciate them, but I always knew that I needed to do something, not just wanted, needed to do something that would have an impact on the community. And real estate investment has just turned out to be that key for me. Awesome. Awesome. You meet no one but you. I always reach the guests. That's almost a synopsis of myself. (laughs) We have to get our hands in a little bit of everything, but then we find that all things are working together for the best (laughs) at the end. And so that's great. Pam, how did you generate six figures from this side hustle that you just explained? Yes, another great question. So how I generated six figures from the side hustle is first, I focused on buying houses for the price of a car. So meaning buying houses that would not cost a lot of money that I would be able to renovate without the help of a wrecking ball, as it were. In other words, the house had solid enough bones that I would need to put maybe five to $10,000 in it, but not $50,000, $100,000 in the house. So that was one. I started off small, I suppose, in terms of the segment of the market that I was targeting, the low cost house segment of the market. Then second, I focused on houses that wouldn't require a huge amount of work 
to renovate. Then third, when I developed the strategy of renting out the houses, I decided that I would purposefully stay just a little under market in order to be able to build up retention with renters rather than the highest prices out there only to have churn year after year after year. And then the fourth thing that I did was after the first probably three houses that I bought where I used a professional, in other words, a property management company, I began to get the hang of what to do. And so my husband and I, we started to manage these on our own. And so now we've built up to a portfolio of 25 houses comprising 31 units. And that's how it is that we've been able to build that to a six-figure hustle. Awesome. Awesome. And so about how many years did it take to build that? Yep. It took, I'd say nine years, about nine to 10 years. So part of how I did it in, I guess, a relatively quick time was I didn't just do things in a onesie type fashion. I would look for opportunities where I could buy two or three at a time. So for instance, I participated in an auction here in Pennsylvania. And at that auction, I was able to buy four houses, and each house was $7,000. Now that said, things aren't always coming up roses, as it were, when you do this. You do have some hard knocks and sometimes some out-and-out losers, some stinkers along the way. Mm -hmm. So with those four properties, two of them were terrible. Two were great. Two were terrible. So the two that were terrible, one of them had a roof and three walls, not four walls, three walls. It did not have a back. And then the other one had all four walls, but half of the roof was missing. Mm. So one of the ones, the one with the missing wall, I was able to sell that. But even still, you know, when you buy it for 7,000, you're going to make a profit when you sell it. And then the other house that's got the half a roof, I've got that up for sale and expect to make a profit on that one as well. So you have to take that as part of the experience. Oftentimes I meet folks who are Uh, landlords. And, you know, the first thing they do is lament about really the nature of the business, which is, you know, sometimes you have a a bad customer, as it were. And I don't think Walmart looks to close their doors the moment that they have a bad customer. And I think it works the same with this business. Yes, exactly. And so audience, if you're an entrepreneur, that's part of the process is to take risks. That is the quality that you have to have of an entrepreneur, but you always grow from those challenges and you move forward. You don't limit, you don't stop, you keep moving forward. And so Pam, there is a a saying, especially in the Black community, that you should always buy a house before you buy a car. What can you speak on that? Yep. Mm -hmm. I love that saying. I love that. I do agree. I mean, I'm cautious on that only because I know that if you are in an area that doesn't have much public transportation. So I mentioned that I'm from New York City. And so most New Yorkers, uh, certainly the ones that live in a very metropolitan area like Manhattan, they don't have a car. And some of them even don't know how to drive. They don't need Um, one, really. Exactly. Yep, they don't need one. But if you live in a location that is poorly served with public transportation, then I would say in that instance, you should buy a car. You shouldn't buy an expensive one. You should buy basic transportation. Just think of it as that. Don't call it a car in your brain. Just say, I'm buying transportation. And if you do that, then you're less likely to buy fancy transportation. Because after all, it's just transportation. It's just to get me from point A to point B. And I think the importance of buying the car is that you save time. It can be so expensive to be without, right? To be financially stretched, to be It's a very expensive thing. It takes a lot of time to go from point A to point B and the runaround. So I think that a car can be the first component of your financial strategy as long as you really see it as transportation. But from there, once you've got that, absolutely, a house should be second on your list. Exactly. And so, Pam, there may be some early investors or budding investors out there that are listening saying, hey, Pam has given me a lot of a motivation to now tap into that field. What books or what 
strategies or what advice would you give to someone who says, hey, I want to change my financial condition. I just feel like real estate investing is going to be the vehicle that may get me from A to B. What advice would you give to them starting out? Absolutely. I would say that for the budding homeowners, I'll talk to them first and then afterwards the budding investors. So for the aspiring homeowners, there are so many programs that are available for first-time homebuyers. And if you are thinking, well, gee, I owned a house a long time ago, or I owned a house not too long ago, but it was in another city or in another state. Most times you still qualify as what's considered a first-time home buyer. And the resources for first-time home buyers come in the form of cash or essentially cash, but in the form of a forgivable loan. So the cash is assistance towards either the down payment or the points that have to be paid on the loan. In other words, the closing costs and fees. And that can go as high as, gosh, I would say in the North Carolina area, probably a good five to $10,000 in more expensive markets like California, many tens of thousands of dollars. So I'm from the school of, if you see free money, pick it up. And I do that literally. If I see a nickel, you best believe that's now my nickel. And so I think it's the same with these home buyer assistance programs for folks to look at that. Just go online and type something like home buyer assistance, North Carolina, and then the name of your city or county and see what pops up. Another thing, while you're on that credit, how should they prepare for their credit score? So for credit, the very first thing is to understand your credit. FICO tends to be the score that most agencies will look at, almost like your report card. So the very first thing is to call one of the credit reporting agencies and ask them for your free credit report. They will give you that. You're entitled to it for free, one per year. And you want to look at that to see if there are any mistakes on it. So for instance, if you had some medical debt that you paid off and your credit report is not showing that, then you'll want to dispute that and write a letter to them and tell them that this is not correct and mail them or email them with the proof showing that you've taken care of that. So that's just an example. Then the second thing is once you've looked at your credit report and you say, okay, I don't love it, but these numbers are right. Everything on here is right. Then you look to see how you can begin to improve it. So generally when you're looking to buy a house, if you're an aspiring homeowner, usually a credit score of 620 to 640 is going to be reasonably smooth sailing. Most banks are going to just welcome you with open arms. Um, and the down payment percentage that will be required is going to be something like 3%. And those loans are going to be guaranteed by an agency called FHA, Federal Home Administration. Now, if your credit score is south of that, in other words, it's lower than the 620 to 640, FHA will still guarantee your loan and only require a 3% down payment as long as your credit score is at least 580, 580. So there will be fewer banks that are available, but I would reach out directly to FHA or to HUD, which is another government agency, hud.gov, and they will be able to refer you to banks. Now, let's say your credit score is lower still. You're like, you know, you're getting warm, Pam, but it ain't quite that. So if it's lower than 580, but it is at least 500. So in other words, the FICO score is between 500 and 579. In that instance, you can still get an FHA guaranteed loan. But in this case, FHA says, well, Oh no, now that credit score is not feeling as safe as one that was 580. So in exchange, I'm going to require a down payment of 10%. So in other words, if the house that you're looking at, the home of your dreams is $100,000, well, then that means $10,000 down payment. But don't forget what I said earlier, that if you apply for home buyer assistance programs, mm -hmm. then 
some or most of that will be paid for. Exactly. And so audience, you want to take note if you don't know that already for the FHA loans, if you're a first time home buyer, you do qualify for assistance. And so as Pam mentioned, you can go down to 500. Of course, you want to work on your credit so you can get the maximum and the best interest rate. But there are programs out there to support you with that 10% down payment or whatever it is based on your credit score for you to get into the home of your dreams. Awesome. And so Pam, what advice would you give to someone or family who may be in a home, but they're renting the home, but they have the option to buy it? Yes. Another great question. So for folks who are renting and are looking to own, I would say two things. One, if you are receiving a voucher, so a, I guess, conventionally called Section 8 voucher, but also called a housing choice voucher. Check with the housing authority for the city or the county that you receive that voucher from, because on an authority by authority basis, so in other words, it's not the case with every single housing authority, don't I wish it were, but some housing authorities will allow their clients essentially to apply for a program in which Instead of receiving rental assistance, they'll receive mortgage assistance. Mm. So back to free money, free money from Uncle Sam. Look for that. And how you look for it is you will contact your housing authority agent or representative to see your officer to see whether that is something that is offered. And if so, what does it take to qualify for it? Then the second thing I would say is look for a house for the price of a car if you are renting. So what I mean by that is if you are renting and let's say you're paying, I don't know, maybe $800 a month or something like that. And so maybe the neighborhood is pretty good or in your view, just so-so. And you've been renting there for quite a long while, maybe five years, even 10 years or longer. So, okay, it's not your dream, but you are familiar with the neighborhood. What I would say is to begin looking for houses in that neighborhood or neighborhoods like it that cost the price of a car. In other words, that costs, I guess these days cars have gone up. So let's say as much as $60,000, 60000 50000 40000 Look for houses at that price tag. So if you talk with a mortgage broker or a lender and they say, well, gee, Miss Sally, when I take a look at your paychecks here, I see that you qualify for a house of $100,000. Why do you want to mess around with a house at 60,000, 50,000, 40,000? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you why. Because you can own that house mm-hmm. in a handful of years. Yeah. After all, you've been paying rent of $800 a month. So you'll own that house in six, seven years. Mm -hmm. So that would be the second thing that I counsel folks to do. Awesome. Awesome. Great advice. Very lucrative advice. So audience, you want to take note on that because money is around you and you have to know how to use the money to value your circumstance. So basically, you know, if you can own it, why not? Because renting basically doesn't create long-term income, owning home ownership Life insurance ownership is a wealth of information that could basically propel you into the future and build your family wealth as well as individual wealth. And so, Pam, could you talk to our budding investors out there? What advice would you give to them? For the budding investors, a couple of thoughts. One is if you already have a home that you own, I would suggest that you look for ways to make money off of that house. So how you can make money off of it these days is through the short-term rental market. So for instance, Airbnb, I don't have any affiliation with them, but they are certainly a very famous one. And these days, many people will Airbnb their couch right down to a couch, or if they have a spare bedroom, or maybe they don't have a spare bedroom. They say, you know what? I'm going to go sleep on the couch for a month or two and Airbnb my bedroom so that I can get some extra money. 
or possibly their backyard if they have a lovely backyard that would make for a great family gathering so for some other family even that can be airbnb these days so that's the first thing i would say is that you can dip a toe into the real estate investment market by using the very real estate that you've got over your head that will also help you to raise cash for your real estate investment that you're looking for exactly and the second thing i would say is places to look because usually that's the question gpam where do we find these houses for the price of a car so i'd say one place is going to be through land banks so a land just like land l-a-n-d and then bank b-a-n-k there are a couple of hundred land banks all over the u.s not every single state has one but most states do and usually they're broken out not at the state level but down to the county or the city level so you'll want to check to see if your city or county that you're interested in has a land bank and how you check is just go online and type in land bank and then the name of your state, county or city and see what pops up. And land bank properties are usually sold incredibly cheaply, but there's a caveat. So first on the cheap front, they're sold sometimes for only a dollar, literally called a dollar home and other times for maybe as much as $2,000. So really, really cheap. But the caveat is that these houses are tumble downs. In other words, they are in very bad shape and require everything. But that said, once you get a loan, and most land banks do work with a set of banks that will help you in terms of providing you with a construction loan. So once you get a loan, and the construction is really the rehabilitation, once you get that loan, for let's say $100,000, because it's that level of work that's required on this house, you are going to have a brand new house. And these days it is hard to find a totally fixed up brand new house for $100,000. So I would say that. I'd say third, for the real estate investors, I mentioned using your own house. If you don't have a house yet, then another way to peel the banana, as it were, is to look for a, a multifamily. So a two unit, a three unit, a four unit. These houses are considered your own personal residence and thus eligible for FHA financing so long as you live in one of the units. So if you buy a four unit house, then clearly the other three units can be rented out and are essentially paying your mortgage and maybe a whole lot more than that. And then I suppose the last place, there's many places, but the last sort of good gold vein to check would be Fannie Mae, F-A-N-N-I-E. And then the second word is May, M-A-E. So Fannie Mae is another government entity that guarantees mortgages the same way that FHA does. They're just a different government entity. And Fannie Mae sometimes finds itself the owner of a house because the person who had the mortgage defaulted. And the last thing that Fannie Mae wants is to be owning houses because they're not in the house owning business, they're in the financing business. Mm -hmm. So they will sell these houses they sell them on their site called homepath.com. So that's H-O-M-E-P-A-T-H.com. And for you aspiring homeowners in the audience, there's good news. On homepath.com, the first 20 days that a house is listed, that 20 days belongs to you. In other words, investors like me or any other investor cannot put in a bid. Only homeowners to be can put in a bid. But thereafter, you investors in the crowd can put in a bid for a house. And that tends to be a good place to find real estate investments. Awesome. Awesome. So audience, homepath.com, Airbnb are different ways in which you can own space and call it yours. And then definitely the FHA loans that Pam mentioned are all awesome resources for you to do your own homework and seek out the path that best fits you and your family. 
And so, Pam, that was great information. We're going to take a short commercial break, but once we get back, we're going to come back and Pam is going to give out information on how you can contact her for any speaking engagements or any items. She's written several books that we still need to get to and courses that she is presently giving. So after the short commercial break, we'll talk more with Pam. Do you need a certain SAT score to get into the college of your choice? Well, Dr. Odell Glenn can help you get it. The three-tier foundation offers online SAT prep classes. Dr. Glenn will show you test strategies and tactics needed to get the score you want. The exam is beatable with a proper coach. We are open to working with individuals, schools, and groups for six-week online sessions. Sign up at www.3tierfoundation.com forward slash SAT dash preparation. That's www.3tierfoundation.com forward slash SAT dash preparation. Does your child have an interest in STEM? Is he or she always asking the why questions? With four engineering degrees behind him, Dr. Glenn can help you better navigate the process. Sign up on his website at www.ogstem.com for newsletters, his upcoming book, and webinars dedicated to STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. The key to success is to plan early. It's never too early to plan. Do you have that burning desire to educate, empower, and inspire community? We here at WDRB Media provide you with such wonderful opportunities to make such a positive impact. So step out on faith and make a significant difference with your gift. We care about your voice and the impact it has. Call 1-877-342-7770 and provide them with the code 1349 to begin the process. That's 1-877-342-7770 and code 1349. Well, welcome back, radio audience. We are getting a synopsis and a plethora of information from Pam Hill, and we're so grateful that she has agreed to be on the OG Inspiration Show. And so, Pam, could you just tell the audience some of the works that you have written and any courses that you have going on that people may be able to get involved with? Absolutely, Dr. Glenn. I'd be very pleased to. So my website is called mysmartcousin.com. So my, M-Y, smart, S-M-A-R-T, cousin, C-O-U-S-I-N.com. Before you go into that, how did you come up with the name of my smart cousin? I think it's an awesome name. Oh, goodness. Because I am that smart cousin at the family reunion that's always in somebody's ear. So, hey, you told me about that 401k that you were going to set up. Did you get around to it? Or, hey, you told me about a real estate investment that you were looking at. How's that going? How can I help you with it? So uh, (laughs) that's how I came up with the name because I so enjoy being that cousin, that special cousin, that smart cousin to my family. We are about to celebrate our 40th uh, reunion. And so I just love congregating. And I thought that as I looked to help others with their real estate investment journey, that I wanted to think about them in the same light. And I wanted them to think about me in that same light as somebody who almost family style can just say things in plain English and not dress it up in a bunch of buzzwords and jargon and also can explain the buzzwords and jargon. So when they read something or receive something that's written and is overly complex or just something that they're not familiar with, that I can say, oh, this means that. So that was the reason for coming up with that. So if you go on mysmartcousin.com, what you'll see are our blogs as well as our video clips. So every day or two, I publish a new blog or video clip with information on these very topics of how to buy a house for a car, how to find financing, property management do's and don'ts, Uh, your checklist when you're doing home inspection, and so on. So I really encourage folks to take a look there first for a lot more free information. And they can also follow me on Instagram at my smart cousin or Twitter 
where my handle is my smart cousin. And then I offer courses as well, just as you mentioned, Dr. Glenn. And if they go on mysmartcousin.com, you'll be able to sign up for a course, or certainly you can contact me, info at mysmartcousin.com for one-on-one coaching. And I also have an ebook. It's a free ebook. So if you go on mysmartcousin.com, you will be able to click a link and get that. Awesome. 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 And so audience, mysmartcousin.com, you want to go on the website and support Pam Hill as she's pulled her knowledge out and wisdom to us, mysmartcousin.com. And so Pam, I want to talk to you about um, land. What are your thoughts on buying land? Yep. I think that land can be a good investment. It's one that you need to understand, maybe no different than understanding a property. So for instance, if the land is commercially zoned, and you can find that out by typing in the address of the land, and then going to the, usually there's going to be either a county or possibly a state site that shows the listing of all real estate. Usually it shows it for the purpose of what the taxes are that are paid on that real estate, but it will also show what the classification, the zoning classification is of that real estate. So for instance, the land might be zoned commercial or zoned industrial or even zoned agricultural or possibly residential. So the first thing you want to understand before buying a plot of land, even if it's just $1, is to understand what it's zoned for so that you know what you can do with it. Because although it's possible to meet with the zoning board and ask them to consider changing the zoning of a particular piece of land, it can be difficult. So once you know what it's zoned for, let's say it's zoned for agriculture. Well, then that should actually be music to your ears. And the reason why is because the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, if you go on their site, USDA.gov, so yet another federal government agency. They provide assistance for either starting a business in an area that they would consider rural, and certainly if it's zoned agriculture, then it would be. And they also provide assistance in helping you set up something, even just a small farm. I'm not talking many acres. I'm talking, oh, I don't know, 2,000 square feet, something like that under a greenhouse or a plastic tunnel. So that's one. If it's zoned commercial or industrial, those tend to be very valuable pieces of real estate, even if nothing is on them, just because they're very limited and they allow you to do a number of kinds of businesses. So that's the first thing I would look to. I would say the second thing is if you have a piece of vacant land, so you don't own it, but it's right next to your own property that you do own, uh, oftentimes that's referred to as a side lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, side, S-I-D-E, and then lots, L-O-T. So Mm -hmm. side lots are usually something that the city is eager for whoever is on either side of that side lot to buy for very little money, could be $500, $1,000, something very affordable, really, for most homeowners. And the reason the city wants the person to buy it is because that person has a natural interest in the land. After all, it's an eyesore for them. It might even be an extra piece of work for them because maybe they're the ones mowing the grass to make sure it doesn't look terrible or become a place where vagrancy or something like that occurs. So that's one. And then two, it's a way for you to immediately add value to your property because as you can imagine, paying $500 to essentially double your lot size is going to add many more than $500 to the value of your property afterwards. Exactly. That's a wealth of information. I remember growing up in Brooklyn, down the street from us was a side lot and it was not worth a lot of money. And in Brooklyn, houses were extremely expensive, but the side lot was not. And so that's really, really interesting. You mentioned, Pam, that you went to auctions to buy when you were like being a budding real estate investor before you made your six figures. What caution should you advise to people who may go to auctions to buy houses? Mm -hmm. Sure. 
definitely it's a buyer beware situation for your very first investment. I would not advise it just because when you're starting off as an investor, no different than if you're starting off in the stock market or the bond market, or I suppose these days, the cryptocurrency market, you don't want to pour all the money that you've got, all the investment dollars that you have into the riskiest of the crypto or the equity or the bond. And certainly auctions are are among the riskier ways to buy a house. And the reason why is because auctions usually do not allow you to go into the property. So for those of you who wondered, well, gee, how could you end up buying the house without a roof? It's because I didn't go in because you weren't allowed to go in to the property. You really shouldn't fool with those until you have enough of a cushion that's generated from the other investments that you have that you can afford to kind of drive around get as good a look at the house as you can, maybe even buy yourself one of those little drones and get a drone license or have somebody else pilot the little mini drone for you so you can get a good look at the roof as opposed to just a Google Maps look at the roof. Exactly. You know, looking at things on the internet is great, but you really need to be at the physical site to really make a full assessment inside and out before you decide to buy, or you may be watching a television show and it looks great on television, but when you get there, it may not be what you expected. And so on-site visitations should be your priority in doing these things. And the last thing, topic that I want to talk about, if you can just give us a little tip that time goes by quick when you're having fun, but what about commercial properties for those who may be tinkling with buying apartment buildings or maybe even old businesses, you know, with COVID, some businesses have decided to sell the building and just have people work at home. And so I'm looking around my area. Sometimes there's a lot of vacant buildings. What are your advice on those? Yeah, I think that's yet another fantastic insight that Uh, Commercial buildings are sometimes they're called mixed use because on the first floor will be, I don't know, a cleaners or a laundromat or a bar or what have you. And then on uh, floors two and possibly three or even four would be apartment units. So I think that's a great opportunity. You can certainly find those probably not quite as readily at house for the price of a car levels, but, but you can find them. I bought one about five years ago at the house for the price of a car levels. And I would think that in North Carolina, that there certainly are some. What I would suggest for folks who are looking at it from a business perspective is to first think about the business that they are interested in and whether that building that they are eyeing can support that. So let's say as an example, that they have a daycare, they're running their daycare out of their house. So they're not able to take in a bunch of kids, only, I don't know, six maybe might be the maximum per licensing. And they just know that if they had space that could hold up to 20 kids, they'd be in much better shape. Well, then that sounds like a great fit. And especially if there's also the ability to live in an upstairs apartment. But let's say on the other hand, if the building is, I don't know, maybe it used to be a laundromat, and all of the machines are broken or finicky or what have you, then you need to know that even though a laundromat can be a good business, that's going to be a fair amount of additional money that you'll have to put in. And do you want to? Do you want to be in the laundromat business? Is that where your passion lies? So I absolutely encourage folks to look at commercial, but not to get too carried away with it. Let it align with what they do. Start with the least riskiest things and then move on from there. Exactly. Exactly. Wonderful advice. Wonderful advice. Well, audience, this is all the time that we have left. Pam has poured her heart out and we thank you so much, Pam. You know, audience, real estate is one of those areas where you can't go wrong. It is still a wealth building strategy here in the United States of America. You want to own land, you want to own property. That is the American dream. And you could have those things, but you must be a risk taker, but you also must be an action taker as well. And Pam has given us words of wisdom on how to go about that. Pam, before we go, do you have any last words of advice to my audience? Yes. 
do something. <laughs> so I think just as you said, Dr. Glenn, action is key. I know it can be frightening, really, to think about changing your present circumstance, even if that circumstance is not all that terribly comfortable, even if you don't like the house that you rent, or you are tired of looking from the outside in on the real estate investment front. But I promise there are opportunities that will fit you as long as you really uh, engage and put it on a calendar, create a reminder for yourself that gets sent to you every day from your cell phone, something that can help you move from thought to actual concrete action. So do something. Otherwise, a year from now, there you'll be. Yes. Where you are today. Thank you so much, Pam, for those wonderful words of advice. You have to do something. Faith without works is dead. You have to make a change. It's not cool to be in the same spot you were the year before and the year before, or have a family generation of curses. You have to step out and be different and pave the way for the next generation and the next wave of your purpose and your destiny on life. Well, guys, this is all the time we have left. This is Dr. Odell Glenn signing off until next week. Be empowered, be encouraged, and be inspired.